last week we we uh, we sort of encountered Moses in the desert. And although that's not the end of the story of Moses, um, we're just having a little bit of a think together for a few weeks about this concept or this notion of desert or wilderness, um, a solitary place, and the way in which that desert, wilderness, solitary place uh, seems to be special in Scripture, seems to be a place where God is known and experienced in a, in a deep and powerful way. And so we are fast-forwarding um, to another desert, to another wilderness experience. So we've, um, we've had the, the story of Moses, and we're just leaving that for a moment, and we're, we're going forward roughly about 400 years uh, to another figure, another great uh, leader uh, of the people of God, to this figure of Elijah. And uh, as I say, this is roughly sort of 400 years later. Uh, it's at a time when uh, the people of Israel have settled in the promised land, that they have become a nation and they've got their own uh, king. But uh, as so often happens, what looked as if it was going to be great ended up going uh, rather uh, pear-shaped. And they soon split into two kingdoms, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And the kings and queens who came were very mixed. And um, there's a particular story uh, or set of stories about the, a king and queen in the north, the north of, of, the, of, of Israel, and they're called Ahab and Jezebel. And Ahab and Jezebel are, are sort of infamous because they were pretty much uh, the worst pair in the story of the kings of Israel and Judah. And uh, they're self-serving and self-centered, and uh, they do as they please, including uh, turning themselves and uh, their nation away from God and towards uh, other gods and idols and so on. And God raises up a prophet to speak to them. And he raises up Elijah, who is a true and great man of God and uh, who proclaims repentance. And his ministry uh, reaches a sort of uh, uh, a pinnacle or a, a moment when he has a battle with the prophets of Baal. And this happens uh, a little bit before our passage. And you might know the story. Uh, the prophets of Baal set up an altar and they dance around it all day and nothing happens. And Elijah sets up an altar and prays uh, and God sends fire from heaven. It's a huge victory. Uh, and uh, in true uh, Old Testament terms, it is not just a spiritual victory. It is also a physical victory. And it's uh, it's sometimes difficult for us to accept. But Elijah takes those prophets and he kills them. He kills them, 450. And when this story gets back to Ahab and Jezebel, she proclaims that she is going to kill him, that she is going to take her revenge on him. So having won this amazing victory, sort of bringing Israel back to the worship of God, what actually happens is the victory gets turned into a defeat. And suddenly Elijah is overcome, not with the presence of God, but with his own sense of weakness and hopelessness. Uh, and he travels uh, into the wilderness there to lie down and die. It says, when he came to Bathsheba, he left his servant there. So sort of getting rid of any 
uh, remnants of, of human contact. Uh, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. This is a real low point. This great, great prophet, this great man of God is wanting to die. He can't go on. He's full of fear, exhaustion and hopelessness. And here in the desert, he just curls up under a tree. But a little bit like uh, at the time that we looked at last week, when the people of Israel were uh, uh, beginning to despair, how are we going to feed ourselves in the wilderness? And God provided manna and quail. Here at this point, God again provides. He sends an angel, and there is this slightly strange story of bread and water being provided for Elijah, a double dose. So he rests, he eats, he rests, and he eats. At this point, that which is physical, almost as it were, overcomes that which is spiritual. And God says, well, let's sort this out, and then we'll get on to the spiritual afterwards. So he is fed, he drinks, he rests, and then he travels to again, which is at the heart of what God is doing. This is where God has met with Moses in the burning bush. This is where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And this is where Elijah runs. Elijah goes to this great mountain, this sort of pivotal place where God reveals himself. And there God asks him a question. He asks him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And in fact, he asks the question twice. We get it in verse 9, and then we get it again in verse 13. And you sort of think to yourself, well, if God asks you a question, then it must be important. But if God asks you the same question twice, it must be really important. And uh, God gives him this question. And Elijah answers, and in fact, he answers twice and answers in exactly the same way. He says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me, too. And if we just think about that answer for a, a few moments, you can see where Elijah is, where he is at, where his thoughts, his feelings, his emotions, where where he actually is. He says. I have been very zealous. I've done my bit. I've done what you told me to do. I've done my best. But look what's happened. The Israelites, the people that you sent me to, have rejected your covenant. The promise you made with them, they've rejected it. They've broken down your altars. They're not worshipping you. And they've put your prophets to death with the sword. I've done my bit and it's made no difference. My work has been futile. And then he says, I am the only one left. No one else is helping. 
the work you've given me seems to be uniquely difficult and I have to do it on my own. And now they are trying to kill me. Not only is this difficult work, not only is it futile work, it's dangerous work. In other words, this great man of God is at this point full of complaints. He is paranoid. He seems to be becoming neurotic. And he is almost entirely self-centered. I have been very zealous. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me. In other words, Elijah is looking to God in this desert place and saying, what's the point? What's the point of following you? It hasn't worked. It doesn't work. Look, I've tried. And what's it been? Just a load of hassle and grief and danger and nothing to show for it. Other people don't seem to be trying and they're doing fine. Worse still, I am singled out and I am in trouble. And as you begin to dwell on those words, as you begin to sort of hear them, I think you can begin to identify with them, can't you? How many of us have been in that place where we think, I've done my best and it's got me nowhere. I've worked hard, but apparently to no effect. My impact and whatever it uh, has been that I've been trying to do seems minimal or infinitesimally small. My work has been futile. Worse, no one else seems to be helping. It's only me carrying this burden and, and no one else is, is, is lending a hand. And actually, lots of people seem out to get me, out to make my life even harder than it needs to be. What's the point of trying to be a good person? What's the point of trying to be a Christian? What's the point of trying to follow Jesus? It doesn't seem to work and just to bring a load of hassle. I think most people, certainly most people who've been following after Christ for a while, get to this point at some stage. And the question that comes to Elijah is the question that comes to us. What are you doing? What are you doing here? And in the answer that unfolds to Elijah, this great, great man of God is reminded that at the end of the day, it was never about him or his work or his ministry or his success or his impact. It was about God and God's people and God's purposes in the world. What God was doing was not frustrated. It was not broken. It was not futile. It had continued through Elijah and he had done great work and it would continue through Elijah's successors. 
In other words, there was nothing futile in what he had done. God had been faithful. He had called him and held him and kept him safe and delivered him from danger. And this lovely little footnote at the end of what God says to him, almost a, a BTW in the texts of the day. By the way, there are also 7,000 people left who haven't worshipped Baal, who haven't fallen down, who haven't kissed his image. You're not on your own. All along, there were lots of other people. We don't know how Elijah responded to this message. I hope, I hope he smiled. I hope he felt that on the mountain of God, that he had been brought back to earth and that he knew his own size again. That yes, he had been called by God. Yes, he had played his part, but ultimately it is God's work, God's vision, God's mission, God's kingdom, and his will will be done. Being out there in the desert, in the wilderness, on the mountain, gives him a chance to hear God's voice and to regain his sense of perspective of who he was and of who God is. And the desert enables him to have that conversation. Maybe the desert of this current lockdown enables you, me, to hear this question again. What are you doing here? What are you doing? Can each of us be reminded that we are doing here our part in God's kingdom, playing our part in what he is doing, even when that feels difficult or lonely, or we can see little or no effect of our work. Nonetheless, we are playing our part. As I get a, a little bit older, and uh, I'm only 52, but, but there are days I do feel older, um, I do wonder whether what God wants more than anything else is that we become more like Christ, more like Jesus. What are you doing here to work with the spirit of God that the image of Christ is seen more clearly in us individually and together? To not worry too much about impact and effect and outcomes and product and all of those things that we we have to wrestle with, but, but not to let those get inside our heads. Instead, to come under the spirit of God and to hear that voice, what are you doing here? I am working with the spirit of God that I might be more like Jesus. What are you doing? The desert enables that question to be heard and answered and for God to remind us who we are and who he is. Just wanted to finish with a poem that um, is attributed to um, Mother Teresa, uh, which I hadn't heard uh, before 
Uh, I saw it on um, Sam and Ronnie's uh, wedding order of service, and it's called Anyway. It says, people are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and frank, people may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, people often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have and it may never be enough. Give the world the best you've got anyway. You see, in the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Amen.